on the corporate infrastructure. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Dre Campbell, and this is Tell, a podcast where queer people tell queer stories. For the past five years, I've been hosting and curating a night of live storytelling at a queer bookstore in New York City. And now we're creating this podcast to share the stories with you. So if you need a dose of queer community or you just want to hear great stories told by the people who live them, Strap on your headphones and pull out your tampon, because Tell is queering the narrative and telling our stories on our terms. Each episode of Tell features two stories that focus on a theme. And this episode's theme is being seen. Have you ever heard someone tell a story about their life or their childhood or a date or anything and it made you feel seen? Like it really hit home for you? If not, keep listening. I mean, I know these next two stories have done that for me. Maybe it'll do that for you. In a bit, Elsa Waith is going to take us to church. But first, Lisa Haas will take us back to early 90s New York City. Lisa Haas is a writer and actor. She has appeared in films, performed all over New York, and you can catch her in the third season of Search Party on TBS. Her story is very funny. It's one of those stories you realize it's funny because it's, you know, 15 or 20 years after it happened, and it probably wasn't very funny at the time because she's going through something. Lisa's story was recorded in February 2019 at Tell's fifth anniversary show. Lisa Haas. So this is a story about a friend. So I have these friends uh, named Lisa and Liz. And Lisa, she has the same name as me and Liz, is the, is the other friend. And they, and, they, and they moved to New York City. I went to college with them and they moved to New York City. And they invited me to move with them. And, and I was so excited. And so, because when I did move here, I, I came out to them and they said, they said, oh my God, we have to take you to a lesbian bar. And I was super excited, right? Because this was over 25 years ago. And I, I was living in Colorado and I was completely isolated and I didn't know any lesbians and I knew like maybe a couple of gay guys, sort of, not really. And there was like, I mean, I was totally isolated, right? And I was in the closet, and I'd only been to one lesbian bar, like, once. And guess what? <laughs> there was nobody there. <laughs> like, I walked in, I was like, here it is! And it was completely empty. It was completely empty. And I was, and I was just like, but it was Christmas Eve, to be fair. So, <laughs> which, which was the only time I could sneak away from my family, strangely. But, so, so... So these friends, so I was super excited. I was like, God, there's going to be lesbians in New York City. And, and I was able to move here because these friends were so kind. They invited me to come stay with them without paying rent so that I could get, like, see if I could get a temp job and stuff. And I thought, I, I can't bear to live with them and not tell them that I'm gay. Do you know? I just, I couldn't bear it. So, I, so one night I, went, I said to my friend Lisa, I was like, Lisa, I was like, I, there's something I have to tell you. 
And she said, is it something we should also tell your mom? And I said, no, no. <laughs> I was like, no, no, just, just you. And she's like, okay. She's like, well, we can set the phone right here. And if we want to call your mom while you're telling me, we can do it. And I was like, no, no, that, that's, that's okay. And she was like, if you don't want to tell your mom, I'll call her and tell her for you. I mean, and clearly she, she had been waiting for me to come out to her. And she actually, I know everybody's like, oh. I mean, she actually made it fun and funny and was super, super supportive. And then when Liz got home, she was like, Liz, we have some great news. Lisa's a lesbian. <laughs> and, and Liz was like, wow, sexy. We have to take you to a lesbian bar. So I was like, this is amazing. So my job was to find the lesbian bar and they would take me the very next Saturday night. So I, I, I was like, what do I do? So I came here to the center, right? This was over 25 years ago. And like, like Nylon, you know how there was a wall of, he felt a wall of hatred? Well, so I see this front, I see the front desk, the information desk, and I was like, wow, there's like this wall of hatred up in front of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's so strange. I must be imagining that. But so I approach it anyway, and the, the, the person sitting behind the desk, I was like, um, excuse me, could you tell me where the lesbian bars are? And this person, like, I'd never seen anybody roll their eyes so enormously. Like, there was this huge eye roll, right? And, and then they were like, they were like, <sighs> and they were like, hand me a Hudson. <laughs> And, and the cubby hole, and, and then I was, and then I had to ask, and then I had to ask them, what are the addresses? And they were like, Ugh. and I was just like, whoa, well, I couldn't believe it. And I walked away. I was like, okay, a bump in the road, a bump in the road. But you know, <laughs> but I got, you know, I found out Henrietta Hudson's. I had the address. So that very next Saturday night, about four hours before we were going to leave, I noticed that Lisa and Liz started getting ready, and they like. They put on some dance music, and they busted out all of their clothes, like laid them out on the bed, and then picked out jewelry and was laying out the jewelry next to it to see what kind of outfits they could put together. And then they were like intermittently dancing back and forth to the bathroom and fixing their hair and putting on makeup. And I was just like, wow. I was like, I mean, they lived here a couple of years before me and they had boyfriends and they had way more bar experience than me. And so, so I went up to them and I was like, hey, you guys, how's this t-shirt and jeans? <laughs> I was like, uh, I was like well, does, you think, does this look okay? And they, and, they both, and they stopped and they looked at me and Lisa and Liz were both enormous. They were tall. They were statuesque. They had big hair. Their clothes fit them perfectly. And they looked at me a moment. And, and Liz said she was like, you need to wear something that's going to get you laid. Right? We, we, we've, we've got to pick out some kind of outfit for you to get laid in. So here's the thing. The only other clothes I had were all these misshapen dress clothes, like cheap dress clothes I had bought for like temporary work, right? And and so they like they made me try on every single thing that I that I'd bought and brought here. Um, they even had me try on some of their clothes. And then so after I tried on all these clothes over and over and over, they finally they consulted each other and consulted each other. And then they decided that the best case scenario for me would be to wear this thing that I had, which was like it was kind of like a dress, but also kind of like a cool lot thing, which which kind of zipped up the front that you kind of like also stepped into. And and it was this, it was 
like this, and I, like, I don't know why I had it, but I do because I bought it. And I bought it strangely, like at a maternity store, right? Because, because like 25 years ago, there weren't a lot of styling options for, um, for plus size women, right? So I bought this thing and I bought it because the saleswoman told me that I could, I could, if I put a sweater on it, it would be a completely different outfit. Right, so I could turn this one thing into several different outfits, and strangely, this worked at the temp agency. So there we were, we were all ready to go. I had on the cool out thing, Liz gave me some black tights to wear, I put on some tie dress-up shoes, and we were ready to leave. And Lisa and Liz looked perfectly normal, and I was like, dressed in my thing. And I was like, I was like, I don't, I, I was like, I don't really feel good about what I'm wearing, but I didn't care because I was like, we're going to a lesbian bar, so, right? So we get to Henrietta Hudson's and like, there they are, the lesbians! <laughs> like, packed, packed, packed with women going wild, right? And so we go in and we, we, we get our drinks and, and Lisa and Liz were like, they were like, hey, we want to dance. And I was like, okay. I was like, I'll hold your purses and drinks for you. <laughs> and like, I found this little table to sit down at with all the purses and the drinks and the coats. And I was sitting there and then for like the next two hours, I watched my friends Lisa and Liz dance with each other and flirt with each other and flirt with other women on the dance floor. And I was like, wow. And every now and then they would dance by and they'd be like, do you see anybody you want to dance with? Woo. And then they'd dance off again. <laughs> and so I was just like, wow. I was like, I wasn't sure like how am I going to ask somebody to dance. And then I saw from across the room there was like, there was a man there. Like the one and only man in this lesbian bar. And I was like, wow, I hope he doesn't come over and talk to me. And then I saw this guy like get up and wind his way through the dance floor coming over to talk to me. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, he's coming over to talk. And he did, he came over to talk to me and he introduced himself and he had a Southern accent and he was like, ha, my name is William, but you can call me Bill. <laughs> and then he said, I really like your outfit. And I was like, well, thanks so much. And so he chitty chatted with me, and then, but he, he cut to the chase, and he was like, I'd really like you to go home with me. And I, and I, and I, and I was like, Bill, thank you so much for asking. I was, I was like, um, I said, actually, I'm, I'm a lesbian, and I was, I was hoping to go home with, with a woman, ideally, ideally, ideally a lesbian, but you know, I, I'm slightly flexible, but was hoping, you know, maybe for a woman. And, 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 and Bill was like, you're, he was like, you're a lesbian? He's like, that don't matter, I'm gay. And I was like, wow, is this what happens in New York City? <laughs> and I was both strangely flattered and like straight and devastated <laughs> all at the same time. Like, I was like, I, I just, I couldn't believe this was happening. And so then luckily Liz and Lisa came off the dance floor and they were like, we're exhausted. We were like, we need, we need to go. And I was like, oh, okay, great. And I was like, this was my, out. I was like, here's your purses and your drinks and your coats. And I was like, thank you, Bill. Nice to meet you. <laughs> and we left and we, we got in a cab because everybody was so tired. And I was like, hey, you guys, thanks so much. I feel really supported. And they, and they were like, oh, they were like, that was amazing. They were like, this is great. And they're like, next Saturday night, we're going to go to a peep show. And, and that, that's the end of my story. <laughs> oh. We, we couldn't get into a peep show because when we went to go, they wouldn't let us in because we were three single women. So we couldn't even get in. <laughs> yeah, when we went to the peep show, it didn't even happen. 
For more, Lisa Haas, find her at lisa-haas.com. Elsa Waith is a comedian, actor, and motivational speaker from Norfolk, Virginia. She's won the Virginia Beach Funny Bones Clash of the Comics three times, has been featured on This American Life, and is a recurring guest on Tell. Elsa's story was recorded in November 2018 as part of the Reimagine End of Life Festival, which is basically a festival about rethinking death. My grandmother was a really huge influence on me uh, growing up. Uh, unfortunately, she was very sick and um, passed away before she was even 60. I think she, I, I believe my grandmother passed away when she was 58. Um, and my grandmother's passing irreparably changed uh, my life and family structure. Um, I was raised... Uh, by, uh, I was, uh, the, our household looked like me, my mother, and my grandmother. Uh, my, uh, but my mother was uh, in the military. Uh, she, was in, she was in the Navy, so she was often deployed for anywhere from uh, a week, anywhere to six months. So um, a lot of my early childhood memories actually don't involve my mother that much. They involve my grandmother. And here's the thing. I'm only just now starting to understand certain things about my family. Like I just learned a couple of years ago that my father, uh, my mother was actually my father's second wife. And there was a whole nother marriage before me, uh, before her. Never, never knew that. Uh, uh, there's a lot of things about my family dynamic that I, I'm only just now learning, um, which you know, you learn something, it's like, ah, that explains the whole goddamn thing. Um, so my mother, my grandmother was always very sick. And so that was my mother's impetus for joining the military to take care of me and, and, and her mother. Um, and so me and my grandmother spent a lot of time together. My grandmother was very religious, way more religious than I even understood at the time. Um, and like, I, I, I know this now because when I tell people what, uh, what, church we went to, there's always a, oh. So we were, we were seven day Adventist. Ah, yeah, there we go, there it is, yeah, right? I did not, nah, I did not know that was weird, you guys. Uh, <laughs> did not know that was weird. I just, there was a couple of weird things about church, was that like we would go to church on Saturday morning instead of Sunday morning, which made it really difficult to be a child because all your friends are at church on Sunday and you're at church on Saturday and so you never get to see anybody on the weekends. Um, and then we, we do that whole thing where you turn off all the electronics on Friday night and then you don't cut them back on until Saturday. So fuck Saturday morning cartoons, you know. Um, but actually, I look back at that time very fondly. I don't, you know, I know, I understand a lot of us queers have very complicated relationships with the church or whatever. But that, during that time, the church was fun for me. Um, We'd wake up early, and I go to go to church, and I get to go downstairs and hang out with the other kids and do uh, and do. Uh, well, it wasn't Sunday school. Um, forget what the hell we called it. Uh, but I'd go down there, and we'd we'd learn about you know our, your buddy Jesus. And uh, my grandmother made certain concessions for me, which I only now, again as adult, realize that my grandmother was my first advocate. 
my grandmother seen me for who I was and what I was before there were even words for it. Um, one of the things that my grandmother did all the time that I, re I remember and, and hold very fondly was there were parts of church that were excruciating, namely the dress. I had to wear a dress. And the dress wasn't as bad as the tights. Oh God, the tights, the itching, they're crampy, I don't like it, it they look weird. Uh, but my grandmother would do a thing where she would bring my jeans or my jumper for me and have them in the car. And we wouldn't leave the parking lot. And my grandmother would open the front and the back door and make a little stall for me to change my clothes because she understood that I cannot be in this longer than necessary. And um, my mother apologized to me just recently, actually. Uh, the, uh, the conversation of clothes came up. And uh, as, a, as a teenager, my mother wouldn't buy me boys' clothes unless I could pay for them myself, which, uh, which is why I had an after-school job at 14. You're not even really supposed to have that at 16, until 16. But uh, uh, I, I went through all the hoops and loops to make sure I could work and get money, namely to buy clothes. Um, and my mother just recently apologized to me. She says, you know, I remember getting into an argument with your grandmother because I, I, I made you wear a dress and didn't pack any pants for you. And your grandmother yelled at me all day because she was because I was cranky and upset. And uh, she was like, I'm sorry. I should have let you buy what you wanted to buy. And that was upsetting, I bet. And I was like, whoa, okay, what is this? Uh, <laughs> but my grandmother seen me. Um, and um, she understood that things were difficult for me. I was a, I was a special child, you know? Um, I, I was academically gifted, so they didn't know how to deal with that in my, in my elementary school. So that meant a lot of times I was learning something different from the other kids. And also you're learning that in the hallway. So uh, a lot of kids thought that like, actually I was slow or something, like Elsa's gotta sit in the hallway. Um, so I was like subject to a lot of bullying. Uh, kids called me lesbian before I even understood what that meant. And also, I was uh, I was not in a military town. A lot of a lot of uh, children, uh, a lot of a lot of military people group because they you know understand each other. But we were because of my grandmother's illness, we were closer to where my grandmother lived, and my mom was working at some sort of like remote re recruiting station. So like no one understood what military life was. So when I told people, when I told other kids that my mother was gone for three months, they made fun of me. It's a weird thing, you know, none of that makes sense. Kids are stupid. But uh, kids would make fun of me that like, your mom's gone, your mom's gone. I'm like, yeah, she's at war, fucker. But you know, uh, <laughs> when she comes back, she's killing you. Um, <laughs> but I got in trouble one day for pretty much that exact thing. Some kid was ma making fun of me and I cursed at him. And my teacher wrote me a, wrote me a write up to take home. My grandma was too sick to walk walk me to the bus stop and pick me up from the bus stop. So she would walk down to the end of the, uh, the driveway where she could see down to the end of the block. She'd watch me walk to the end of the block. She'd walk, watch me walk to the bus stop in the morning and she'd stand there until I got on the bus. And uh, this day I got the write up and I'm holding it in my hand. And I guess, I guess she can see by the way I'm walking, I'm upset. And I'm, she says, what, when, I, when I walk up to the driveway, she says, what's wrong? And I says, I got in trouble. And I gave her the write-up. And I walked right past her. And 
went and sat in my timeout chair because I just already knew that was coming. Uh, <laughs> and uh, my, my grandmother comes in the house. I guess she stood out there at the, at the, uh, at the mailbox and, and read the letter. And then she comes back in the house and she says, okay, get in the car. And I'm like, uh-oh, this is weird. This is not how punishment goes. What are we doing? Uh, and she gets me in the car and we drive to Dairy Queen. She brought me ice cream and she says, uh, I am going to ground you. You can't watch TV tonight, but uh, next time you're sad, don't use bad words. Just call on Jesus. That, the second part, meh, but sure. Uh, and my grandmother really understood me. Um, my grandmother was, was always sick. She had, uh, she had a, a lot of cancer. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what it was, but it would show up in one place and they would operate on that and they'd show up in another place and they would t cut that tumor out, but uh, it just kept coming up. And she, uh, she also had lupus. She had some weird skin thing that made her skin uh, like bubble and boil or whatever. Um, my grandmother was, a, but prior to all this, I have very few pictures of her because she didn't like taking pictures because of her skin. But prior to all that, my grandma was a model. She was very tall. She used to be a model. That skipped all of us. Uh, I'm not tall, my mother is not tall, my father is not tall. My uncle is abnormally tall, so he took all the tall. Um, and I wish I had more pictures of her because when she went, she went fast. Um, all my life, my grandmother was sick. So I didn't understand what sick was she would go to the hospital or they'd have a surgery and then she'd be back she would go in the hospital she'd stay for a few days and then she'd be back you know we're back and forth to a lot of doctor's offices but you know my grandma looks fine to me you know she's got a weird skin thing but she's fine right she uh my grandmother passed uh, a week before christmas uh 1999 98 sorry um so Christmas has always been a weird time for me and my mother. Uh, and she pretty much deteriorated within about two weeks. She forgot my name and started calling me my mother's name. Forgot my mother's name and started calling my mother her sister's name. Um, she couldn't get out the bed anymore. And this was all very, very fast. So I, I still didn't quite understand. I'm like, eh, my grandma's just really sick and she'll be fine in a couple of days. She's just a little confused, right? The, um, I remember very clearly. I don't remember much leading up to it. And I don't really remember much afterwards. But I remember very clearly the day my grandmother died. Uh, the night before she died, there was some sort of emergency. I don't know what it was, but the ambulance had to come to our house and take her away. And my mother, she had gotten leave from, from the military to, to be with my grandmother. And she says, I'm gonna go to the hospital. And you could come to the hospital with me. I'd rather you not because you got school in the morning. Um, but if you want to, you can. And I don't know, I thought I was making the good kid choice. I'm like, I'll just go to school in the morning. Grandma will be fine, right? We'll, I'll, I'll come to the hospital after school. Uh, there was something in my little fifth grade class that I really wanted to do and not miss. Don't remember what it was, but I 
really wanted to go to school that day. And um, when I got off the bus from school, um, and oh, well, that's the other thing. My uh, my teachers knew my grandmother was sick, and I she was my primary guardian. My bus driver, everyone knew my grandmother was my primary guardian. And uh, when the bus pulled up in front of my house to drop me off, uh, in the afternoons they started to drop me off at the house. Uh, when the bus pulls up in front of my house, my whole family is there. Every every person in my family is there. And the bus driver stopped and put the car in park and she was like, I'm sorry. I didn't know what that meant. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> Went in the house and everyone's there and everyone's like, we're sorry. I'm like, oh no. Oh, oh this is what this means. Oh, okay. And I don't know, you know, I didn't understand what shock was as a 10 year old, but I didn't cry until the funeral um, because it wasn't, it wasn't real to me, you know? She'll, she'll be back, she'll be fine. Um, it wasn't until the funeral that I understood and I could see her there, oh wait, this is for real. And um, I can honestly say that I'm only just now recovering from uh, the aftermath of my grandmother's death. My grandmother was the glue for me and my mother. My mother lived for my grandmother. My grandmother lived for me. Um, I was told, uh, I don't know, I wasn't there, but I was told that in my grandmother's last moments, she remembered my name. She had been calling me Stephanie. She'd been calling me my mom's name and calling my mom Mary, which was her sister's name. But I was told that in, in, in her last moments, she remembered my name and she, she was looking for me and she wanted me to be there. And um, I feel guilty as a 10 year old for not being there, you know, but I'm like, also I was 10, so what do I have to feel guilty about? But I'm like, you know, I can't even remember what that school day was, but I was so uh, gung-ho to go. Uh, but after my grandmother passed, me and my mother were very lost for a very long time. Um, I see this. Unfortunately, I don't think my mother realizes this, but years later, we brought another house that is pretty much the exact floor plan of my grandmother's house. And then my mother proceeded to decorate it nearly in the exact same way, uh, just different colors. Uh, and I, I, I know now that my, my mother is still struggling because uh, she's looking for advice. She says it all the time. No one's told me. No, one, no, one, no one's told me. And, and your grandmother died when I was 30. I'm 30 now. And me and my mother don't have a very good relationship. And from what I've been told, my mother and my grandmother did not have a very good relationship. And from what a lot of people tell me, our relationship is almost identical, even. Um, but sometimes I really wish that whatever my grandmother poured into me, she would have poured into my mother as well. And I think the in retrospect, some of that might be a bit of regret that she didn't. Um, 
But to bring it full circle, uh, I, I say all that to say that we are entering the holiday season. This is a, a hard time for anybody, for a lot of people, for numerous reasons. Um, but especially for, for us queer folk, uh, the holidays could be especially triggering. Um, your family may not be your family. Your family may not be your mother or your father. It might be your aunt and your uncle or your grandmother or uh, I have lots of other people's grandmothers that are my grandmother now. Um, and for a very long time, I struggled with the holiday season. Um, I feel a lot better these days. Uh, thank you, therapy, Lexapro, and Wellbutrin. Um, but I, during this time, I want everyone to, to look out for each other because I, I don't want us to lose anyone else just because uh, there's isolation or there's sadness. There, there, it's, it, sadness is perfectly fine to feel, um, but please reach out and other people reach in. Um, I also wrote uh, a little poem, trying to stretch all my artistic muscles here tonight. So a little more to the theme is I wrote a poem about what I felt like a queer funeral should be. And that I, we don't celebrate ourselves enough, I don't think. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this little poem, prose, I don't know, a thing I wrote. I'm gonna read this thing I wrote. Uh, okay. We always say that when we die, my funeral will be a party. How come we never do this? If anyone knows how to party, it's us. And if anyone deserves to be celebrated, it's us. For however long you are here, you were here. From the elder to the baby dyke, you were here. In a world not built for us, in a world designed specifically to kill us, gone too soon, or decades of life, you had the audacity to be, to exist. You deserve voguing in the aisles. We'll all wear glitter and sequins for you, feathers and flair. Our best bow ties and best dyke vests. No black except for the leather daddies. I'll promise to smoke a joint for you. We'll snort the fattest lines. The funeral procession will be a protest march. And when you are lowered into Mother Earth, we'll cover your casket and your headstone in rainbow confetti. So everyone will know you were here and you were celebrated. Thank you. For more Elsa Waith, find her on Twitter at Elsa Just Elsa. Thanks for tuning in. And queer folks, remember, if you don't tell your story, someone else will. So get out there and tell queer stories. Dang it. Tell is created, hosted, and produced by me, Dre Campbell, and co-produced by Marielle Reyes. 
The stories are recorded live on location at the Bureau of General Services Queer Division, a pop-and-pop bookshop and event space in the LGBTQ Center in Manhattan. Go say hi to Greg and Donnie who run BGSQD and tell them we sent you. Or follow them at BGSQD. The Tell podcast is recorded at Brick House in downtown Brooklyn by Onel Moulet and is edited by Kyrell Palmer. Our theme song was written and recorded by Drake Amble and Peter Letra. Emily Bogosian is the captain, and Sasha Mathias is the bigger boat. Remember to follow us on Spotify, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google us on Google Play, and slide into our DMs at TellQueers, or DreBiz on Instagram and Twitter. That's Queers and Biz with a Z, obviously. Tell is part of the Brick Radio family. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio.